How many of you have been through basic Bible truths? All right, hold them up there just a second. Let everybody look around. Several of you here today have not. And what today is, you could call it a lot of things, I guess. It's not really a sermon. It's more like a commercial. You know, this is the carrot. Basic Bible Truths has made a world of difference in the lives of many of you here today. Is that worth an amen? Amen. Yeah. And I encourage everyone, no matter what you think you know already, to take Basic Bible Truths. Camilla was already planning to take Basic Bible Truths, which I found out that she was, and so she has agreed to be my student for the day. I'm going to share with her lesson one of Basic Bible Truths. And uh, you get to watch. You don't get to participate, you just get to watch. I'll share with you just a little bit about Basic Bible Truths in that uh, it's five one-hour Bible classes. This is her first. Uh, We'll pick up number two uh, at a time we schedule that's good for you and We'll make it work. We always do. Whatever you can schedule, we'll make it work. It's important enough in your life that we will do whatever it takes to meet your schedule to get these truths to you. They're worth that much. Uh, The first lesson is about how do we know this Bible really is from God? Because there's an awful lot of people that don't know whether it is or not. And that's actually a good answer. I asked you earlier if you believe the Bible is really God's Word, and you said you did. And I asked you how you know. Because it says in the Bible. Well, that's, you know, that's a pretty good answer because if, if it is God's Word and it says in God's Word that this is it, that pretty well settles it. But I could write a book, and in my book I could say it's God's Word, couldn't I? Many have done that very thing. But does that make it God's Word just because the book says it is? No, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. What we're going to look at today is the evidence. We're going to look at at three categories of evidence. Not nearly all the evidence about this subject, but enough for you to really get a hold of uh, the truth of the matter. We're going to be looking at the first one today. We're going to be looking at the construction of the Bible how the Bible got here, and what that means as far as whether it really is from God or not. We'll be looking at the prophecies of the Bible, and I'm right now I'm looking at the clock. These are one-hour Bible lessons, and it's 11.30. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that Brother Hudson preached last week. Because that makes no matter what I do look pretty short. (laughs) So uh, we're going to have some fun today. Uh, I think you're, uh, I think you you would give me an extra five minutes maybe. Yeah. No. See there's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. I'm good. There's a whole hour right there. All right. I learned that from Daryl I think. But uh, we're going to get started here in just a moment. 
But I want to I want to uh, I want to share with you to get started the reasoning behind the order. We're going to talk about how we know the Bible is true, how we can be absolutely certain of it. We all know that Christianity is about trusting Jesus. If you don't know that yet, well, you'll learn that today. It's it's about trusting Jesus. But here's here's the thing about that. The only way we have of knowing about Jesus is from where? It's from the Bible. So if, if you're not able to have total confidence and complete trust in your Bible, how then can you have complete trust in Jesus? Because he's the only way, the Bible's the only way we have of knowing about Jesus. So if we're going to do this right, and we're all about doing it right, if we're going to do this right, we're going to start with making sure we know what this book really is and that it's true, and that we can trust what it says. We can literally, Camilla, state our life on what it says. This is Camilla Eckenrode, by the way. She's already a member of our church, and uh, we're going to learn a lot of things, uh, starting with the Bible. Now, some of the things that you're going to learn, if you're willing to take basic Bible truths. Uh, someone asked me today, what, was, what is the fee? I said, well, what do you have in mind? Uh, no, there is no fee. Uh, the fee is taking the time to be willing to do it. Uh, the benefits are tremendous. But the first lesson, we're going to learn how we know for sure this book is from God. And you're going to see that. You're going to see that today. The second lesson in our second hour of class is going to be how God sees us. God sees every one of you and me in one of two categories. There's only two kinds of people in the world from God's perspective. Now, we see all kinds of people. We see political groups and racial groups and economic groups and, you know, there's all kinds of groups. God has two. Those that have a relationship with God and those that do not have a relationship with God. And guess where every one of us starts out? Sin has put you in the group that does not have a relationship with God. Now the word relationship is talking about being a relative. It's talking about being in God's family. And you're going to get to see, Camilla, as we go through lesson two, we're going to list many, many scriptures where you can just see God say, literally say that. Today we're going to know that you can count on what he says, and then we're going to look at a lot of scripture from this point forward in the lessons. The third lesson, once we learn about the righteousness of God and tremendous things in lesson number two. If you like the first one, you're going to love the second one. The, uh, the third lesson is about how to appropriate what God has done for you. How to know, it's about how to know you're saved. And you will probably tell me right off, well, I already know I'm saved. Matter of fact, you said that to this church when you joined. Well, let me, put, let me say this. If you have ever had a doubt about whether you really are saved or not, and I will dare say there's not a Christian in here who's not felt very saved at some time, some point in your life. Yes? 
Yeah. It's not about how you feel. It's about what God says. But I will guarantee you, if you take these classes, you will never, ever, after you finish, you will never doubt ever again, not for a minute, whether you really are saved or not. I can promise you that. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying I think you've had doubts. I don't know if you have or not. It really doesn't matter. We're going to learn from the Bible how to be sure. And uh, that benefits everybody. The, uh, the fourth lesson is how to walk in fellowship with God. Getting saved doesn't make you any less a sinner in the flesh anyway. You're still going to have to fight the battle every day and you're still going to lose that battle every day. At least one or two or three of them, however it is. We don't become uh, holiness, holy in outward expression because we got saved. God saves our spirit, not the flesh. And you're going to have just as much trouble with your flesh after you get saved as before you were saved. It's just that way. And you won't win all the battles. But praise the Lord, He has already won the war. And that's for us. The fifth lesson is about baptism and church membership and why all that's important and how it works and what it's for. Everything you ever wondered about why did they do this or don't that is probably going to be answered in the Bible classes. So you ready? All right, let's get started. We've got, uh, we've got two scriptures we're going to go to, first of all. Just a couple of things that I want you to see here. Uh, we're going to... Uh, Isaiah. Matter of fact, I think she's already got it on the screen for us. There it is right there. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God talking to Isaiah, who is one of the good guys. He's not like, you know, he's not like correcting somebody that's going down the wrong road. He's telling Isaiah about who he really is. And God tells him, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That scripture is kind of, is kind of like a warning to us that uh, God is not like us at all. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't do things like us. He is our creator. We know that. Uh, I, I've you know, we, we have people who are creative. I could, I could make this table. Matter of fact, I did make this table actually over 20 years ago and it's holding up pretty good. But uh, that's not even creation. Yeah. That's just taking something that God already made and rearranging it to suit our needs. How, how smart does somebody have to be to be able to create us? I mean, the human eye, the the body, how it works, uh, making us a triune being unlike the rest of the critters in the universe and the world. And uh, God's ways are so much above us. Well, he said it. It's higher than the heavens are above the earth. Do you know how high that is? Nobody else has, has ever arrived at that either. Uh, but it's a lot. And so if you're going to learn truth about someone like that, this is the warning. There are going to be some surprises. You're going to be, you're probably going to be shocked at some of the things you actually see and learn from God himself. 
That's how awesome he is. Uh, it's not that it's not our job of teaching or anything. It's the one we're studying about. That's that's so incredible. And that's who God is. The other the other scripture that I want to take you to today. Uh, and I'm going to I'm making your notes for you, by the way. There is no homework. You'll like that part. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And the next one is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, very often when I start teaching somebody basic Bible truths, I ask them, well, how do you know for sure? How do you really know that the Bible really is from God? And sometimes the answer is, well, I just have faith that it is. And that sounds pretty good. Until until you uh, actually look in the Bible and see what God's definition of faith is. Let me get over there to it. She's got it on a screen for us coming up here. So if I'm slow, uh, she'll make up for it. She will not be there doing that for us later So when we finish the other. But God's definition of faith is not what the normal man on the street definition of faith is. Most people think faith is, you know, believing something that you can't see and you just choose to believe it. Like the preachers told you and so you just have faith that it was right. That's not how God looks at faith. Read it here in Hebrews 11.1. 1. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, there's a couple of things you could see by reading that verse. One of them is that faith is based not on just blindly accepting something as true. Faith is based on substance and it's based on evidence. And that's what we're going to look at. God didn't ask you just to believe it because somebody said it. God has given us solid evidence by which we know the truth. And that's what we're going to look at. We got three, we got three categories of evidence that we're going to look at in this lesson. The first one is the construction of the Bible, how it got here. The second one is the prophecies of the Bible. There are actually hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. The neat thing about the prophecies is that most of them have been fulfilled already. And we can just look, we read the prophecy, we can look at history and see the record. What, what do you suppose the accuracy record is of the prophecies in the Bible? There are hundreds of them, and most of them have already happened. So we got a record. How good do you think that record might be? Pretty good? 100% is pretty good, isn't it? Well, that's the record. No one's ever found a flaw ever in that record. The third one is the one that you mentioned when we started out, and that's the claims of the Bible. The Bible does claim to be the Word of God. We're going to look at that uh, in the Scripture today. But uh, the, uh, the claims is not what we're going to go to first, for obvious reasons. But when we finish up looking at the construction of the Bible... And then we take a look at the prophecies of the Bible. We can't look at them all. But we'll look at enough to see how it works. And then we look at the claims of the Bible. It will make a much greater impression at that point, I think. 
All right, here's how we do this. First off, we're going to get started. What we're going to do is that we're going to look at some things that you probably already know. And if you don't, you could easily look them up and see that they're true. Uh, We'll start with pointing out that the Bible isn't just one book, is it? It's 66 complete books. So here I am writing that note down, 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and there are 27 books in the New Testament. I actually counted at one time. Uh, And that's true. Some of the other facts about the Bible that we uh, can easily determine is that the Bible was written by at least 40 different men. 40 authors, or at least they're called authors. We'll learn a little bit more about the true authorship of the Bible as we go along. We know that the Bible was written over a period of about 1,600 years. There are several uh, evidences throughout the Bible that give us those timelines. The oldest book being the book of Job, and the newest book is what? Revelation. Yeah, 1,600 years. That tells us something immediately. One is that these 40 guys didn't all live at the same time. I mean, you know, it just does the math doesn't work. Uh, One of the things that I've learned, uh, having taught these lessons for all the years that I have and read the Bible, uh, I've been reading the Bible through every year for longer than I've been your pastor, which is uh, 20 years and another three that I was a Bible teacher before that. So that's about 26, and there have been a bunch of times other than that that I've read all the way through the Bible. So everything I'm telling you about the Bible are things that I know personally to be fact. I've checked it out myself. Uh, But uh, one of the other things that we know about the Bible is that it was written in three languages. You know what they are? Hebrew is the Old Testament primarily, and Greek is the other one. That's mostly the New Testament, and then there is some Aramaic that is in there as well, which is uh, the, they say it's the oldest form of Hebrew. Uh, it was written, uh, again, this is notable, on three separate continents. That's pretty impressive, I think. The, uh, these men, for the most part, with the exception of David and Solomon, father and son, they knew each other, and they both wrote some of the books of the Bible. Uh, some of the apostles knew each other uh, personally. But for most of them, they not only didn't live at the same time, they didn't know each other. Uh, the, the scope of the Bible... Do you know what I mean by when I say the scope? I'm talking about all the different subject matter that's covered in the Bible. I mean, all the sciences are discussed in the Bible. I mean, the fact that the earth is not flat, that it's a sphere, is in the Bible. Long before Columbus ever did whatever it was he did. 
and you know the metallurgy. Uh, they were workers in bronze and iron on the other side of the flood. All of it in the Bible. Astronomy, horticulture, agriculture, all of that's discussed in the Bible and a lot of it in great detail. The scope of the Bible is, for a better word, huge. The Bible, I mean, it's a big book anyway. Uh, and, and the subject matter, the variation of subject matter through the Bible is very extensive. If you've ever tried to read the whole thing, uh, which I think you have, uh, it's, it becomes quite a challenge because it's, it, there's a lot of material in here. Uh, the Bible is, uh, well, let me, get, let me get these notes written down here. The scope is huge. The, uh, the men who wrote the Bible, the, this is interesting, especially to me, because if, if I was God and I was going to send my word to mankind and I was picking out prophets and servants to do that, well, I'd, I mean, I'd get them all from the best schools and all from, you know, intelligent levels. And I'd make them as alike and as uniform as I could do it. Well, the first thing we read is God doesn't do things like we do things. And this is one of those things he doesn't do like we do things. God chose men who were as different as night and day. Uh, just like Matthew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First book in the New Testament. You know what Matthew did for a living? He was an IRS agent. And I don't even want to get into how he made his living before Jesus straightened him up. Okay. You know what Luke did for a living? Well, they called him Dr. Luke. And it wasn't because he had a degree in philosophy. He was a medical doctor. Peter, what did he do for a living? He was a fisherman. They didn't just call him a fisherman. They called him an ignorant fisherman. That's in the Bible. Uh, Peter, the reason was because he was stupid. Uh, they, they couldn't figure out how Peter could write what he wrote and preach what he preached and all of the, the literary stuff that he did. Uh, he didn't have a formal education like the Pharisees and Dr. Luke and those other guys. Peter went to the boat and his dad taught him to fish and he made a living at it. And his dad was taught by his dad and that's how it happened. It, it, it wasn't a, he, he didn't go to the schools. He went to the, to, the, to the lake like some of you guys wish you'd got to do growing up. But uh, anyway... Uh, that, that's who they were. And so you, you really, it's, it's amazing to see the most amazing part of all of this. Now we know a lot of these things and there's a bunch of other things I could tell you about uh, how we know the Bible came. But the biggest, I think the biggest fact of all of them, the one that's going to be the most impressive is the agreement that we find. You see, you've heard that there are contradictions in the Bible. You've heard that, haven't you? Every, every person that's ever been to school in this country of ours has heard that from somebody. 
Have you ever seen a contradiction in the Bible? Well, you're absolutely right about that. I've, I've been teaching these classes for 45 years. And every, t- every person I've ever taught, I've asked them this question. Have you ever seen a contradiction in the Bible? Uh, you know how many people have shown me contradictions so far in 45 years? Not one. Now, that granted, there are things that we'll refer to as perceived contradictions. Things that people perceive as contradictory because they basically don't understand it yet or haven't really researched it yet. Uh, I will tell you that I've heard, I I don't know if I've heard everything that everybody has ever accused the Bible of being, you know, contradictory, but everything I've ever heard about, and I've heard about a lot, I've checked out personally. And I'm, I can tell you that uh, there are no contradictions in this book. Now, we're going to see what that proves here in just a, just a little bit. But one of the things that, uh, that the Bible writer, that people say, uh, uh, bring up as a contradiction is that one of the Bible writers, and I realize these are all little, little things that have to be, but the, the Bible, one of the Bible writers called the robe that they put on Jesus when they were torturing him. One of the writers said that they put a scarlet robe on him. And the other, one of the other writers says that they put a purple robe on him. And somebody says, aha, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Well, uh, I, I, you, could, you, could, you could look at it that way if you chose to. But uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Those seats out there, the one you're sitting in, what color is it? Burgundy. Burgundy. Okay. Where in the spectrum is burgundy? What would you say? It's like darker, a darker red. A darker what? Red. A darker red. Okay. So basically, one person might think it's red. Do you, do you know if all people see colors the same way? No, I was sitting there thinking that some of those people, that, one of those that wrote that, one of them might have been colorblind. One might have been. Uh, the fact is, we don't know if there's any two people on the earth that actually see color the same way. There's a way to measure things about color, but nobody can measure how you're seeing it versus how I'm seeing it. You know, some people call these chairs red. Some of them call them burgundy. Somebody says they're wine colored. Uh, If you look real close, you're going to see some purple in there. Uh, Is that, does, does, does what the Bible says about Jesus' robe make, does that rise to the level of a contradiction in the Bible? I I don't, I don't think so either because I, I think it's the opposite. It's a writer telling it how he sees it. How, how more, what more honesty would you want than that? I mean, and if there's anything I know about the Bible is God tells it like it is. And the human aspect of the writers tell you what they saw. Uh, so that's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous to call that a contradiction. I, I understand that. And I think most people would agree with that. There are many others 
but they all, you know, where'd Cain get his wife and, you know, crazy questions like that. I know, I know the answer. The Bible gives you the answer to all those things. But to th see, the point is, there are no provable or, or demonstrable in any way, there are no contradictions in the Bible. I mean, we've, we've had in the atheistic world some of the best minds there ever was trying to prove a contradiction or a mistake in the Bible for, oh, I don't know, well over a thousand years, quite a bit more than that, actually. And nobody to this day has ever been able to prove even one disagreement. And we're not talking about a light matter here. Some of the, in these Old Testament books, the scope of the Bible, I didn't stay on that very long, but uh, we're, we're talking about the, the history of mankind from the first of creation forward is in the Bible and all the facts and details that surround it. We're talking about the origin of the universe is in the Bible and all the details that surround it. We're talking about the, the nature of God himself is given to us in the Bible. We're talking about the history of Israel is in the Bible and in great detail and addressed. You see, all of the books of the Bible, all of the writers address some of the same things. And some of the books of the Bible address, it sounds like almost everything. Uh, so we've got every opportunity for there to be a discrepancy. Do you do anything for fun, like a sport or anything like that? No? That's, that's, well, we've got a, yeah, we've got a softball game at three o'clock today. Another one at four. I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a way to illustrate this. So if you don't mind, we'll use softball. Okay, we're going to go find, we're going to take what I call <clears throat> in the lessons an imaginary field trip. If you can't take a real one, you take a, one in your mind. We're going to go find, not 40, but two softball coaches, teachers. And unlike the, unlike the, the way God did it with the writers of the Bible, we're going to try to find two as matched up closely as we can get them. Like we're not going to get a baseball coach and a softball coach or a fast pitch coach and a slow pitch coach. We're going to try to match them up. And, and once we find these two guys or gals, whichever way it may be, uh, we may find two college girls softball coaches that are matched up as close as they can get. But we're going to ask that person when we find them, to do some writing for us. We're not going to ask them to write 66 books or even one book. We're going to ask them to write something on the order of a, uh, of a junior high essay. That's kind of long memory for you and me, but junior high was, I kind of remember a little bit about what that was. Did you ever have to write an essay in junior high? What was, the, what was the shortest one you wrote? I don't remember, but if I could get away with writing it shorter, I would. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're a lady after I my own heart here. I, yeah. Well, let's, let's assign them, let's assign them a, a couple of pages. You know, single spaced, you know, double, I don't care. 
a couple of pages. Now, are we going to ask them to write everything they know about softball or everything there is to know about softball? No, that, that would be foolish. We're going to simplify this thing down and it's just as, as simple as we can get it. We're going to ask them to write a couple of pages on how to teach a beginner, a new rookie coming in, never played ball before, how to do one of the simplest aspects of the game. What might that be? It could be anything, I guess. Swing the bat and hit the ball. Swing the bat and hit the ball. Now, that's too complicated. It's too complicated? Now, oh. let's, let's get it down simpler. Let's get it down as to how to hold the bat. Oh, well, yeah. There, there, so. there are things to learn about how to hold the bat. If you don't believe it, come out and watch us at 3 o'clock. You'll find out. There are things you need to learn about how to hold the bat. But here's my question to you and for our audience. What are the chances that we could find two softball teachers, coaches, that could write us a couple of pages on how to teach a new beginner to hold the bat? How to hold it, where to put it, when, you know, a couple of pages and agree perfectly on everything they said. Camilla says, No way, they'd never get it perfect. What do you think? I think she's right. Everybody's got their own way of doing things and everybody's got their own opinions. So, how in the world do we have 66 entire books? All about the same person. By the way, Jesus is the subject of every book in the Bible. What God has done for lost man is the theme of every book in the Bible. How do we have 40 men writing 66 complete books, all about the same person, all about the same subject matter, with thousands of overlapping details in what they're writing, and to this day, no one's ever been able to find one single disagreement between any of those 40 men. How is that possible? If it wasn't inspired by God writing it, it wouldn't be possible. Well, you're jumping ahead to good conclusions, but you're right. <laughs> you're right. It's not possible, humanly speaking. Yeah. But here it is. It's the best-selling book in the world. You've got one or two or three at home. I've got a stack of them that's been collecting for years. I mean, everybody, just about everybody's got a Bible. Now we have them in our phones. <laughs> it's not, it's not just a book. It's not the work of men. That's see, that's the number one thing people say. Well, it was written by men. It was written down by men. Amen. That part's true. But I think when we get toward the end of our class today, we're going to find out something more about how it was written. This, this part about the construction of the Bible, in all honesty, does not prove that God wrote the Bible. What it does prove is that men did not write the Bible. Men were not, men are not, were not then and are not now capable yeah. of writing with this level of perfect agreement. Frankly, men can't do anything perfect. <laughs> when you get right down to it, 
But here it is. You gotta you you gotta deal with facts that are in front of you. And I I submit to you that the agreement that we have in the Bible is proof in and of itself of some extremely important things about the Bible. Men did not do this. Men could not do this. But that's only one of the things God gave us as far as evidence is concerned. He said faith has to be based on substance and evidence. And he gave us no shortage of it. You know, we're not even going to talk about, Camilla, in this particular class, we're not even going to talk about creation itself, standing there looking at us in the face. I remember a long time ago when I was lost, before I ever knew Jesus, a man picked a flower off of a, a real bouquet. I don't think that one is necessarily real, but he picked a flower off that bouquet and he said, can any of you make me one of these? And of course, everybody knew the answer. He said, well, somebody made it. That was, that was one of the first realizations that I had that there's got to be a God somewhere. And this is his word to us. So the second thing that we're going to look at, it's already afternoon. Ah. Well, y'all just going to have to stick with me for a little bit. Can you handle a little bit more? No, John said. <laughs> yeah, well, Trish, straighten him up for me. <laughs> the second way we have of knowing that this is God's Word is the, the proof that's in the prophecies of the Bible. What's a prophecy? Yeah, tell the future. It's a prediction. Yeah. Well, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. Now, prophecies, real ones, the ones you find in the Bible are not like what you hear on the History Channel or some other thing when the world is talking about prophecy. The name Nostradamus comes up and things like that. And I've actually read some of his so-called prophecies. They're not. They're the delusions of a psycho. Uh, that's all it is. They, they could apply to anything at any time in history and don't apply to anything specific. Bible prophecies are very specific. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of minutes to share one with you. I could share, I've got a whole list here that we could go. The reason I share this particular one is because I'm the teacher and I get to pick. That sounds reasonable to me. But actually the reason that I usually choose this one is because that everybody on the planet knows about this prophecy. It's in Micah chapter 2. And I'm going to write it down here, Micah. Uh, by the way, that's, uh, that's my new grandbaby that will be here in a couple of weeks' name. His name is Micah. Can't wait to wrestle with him. It's going to be fun. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth to me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This prophecy says that the final king of Israel, he's known as the Messiah. He's known in, in the Old Testament by a lot of different names. 
but it's this one. There's only one. And he is going to be the final one. And it flatly says that he's going to come out of Bethlehem. Does everybody, just about everybody know where Jesus was born? See, this is why I like this prophecy so much. Everybody knows where Jesus was born. But the one thing that everybody doesn't know, uh, do you have my map ready back there? The one thing that doesn't, everybody doesn't seem to know is where Joseph and Mary lived when she's nine months pregnant with Jesus. Do you know where? You do. I promise you, you do. If I said Jesus of, what would you say? Help her out. You you did know that. Do you see it on? Do you see it up there on the map? Well, uh, I'm not sure that was given the right uh, map here, but up there, just to the left of uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, is a town called Nazareth. I don't see it there, but. Maybe I'm just Palestine in New Testament times. Well, it should be there. It's right there. Uh, Do you see Bethlehem on there anywhere? You see Jerusalem on there, down toward the bottom, just near the Dead Sea. Look at the north end of the Dead Sea. Go over to the left a little bit. You see Jerusalem? Do you all see Jerusalem on there anywhere? All right, it's found it. Just just a little bit. Actually, you can see it from one from the other. Is Bethlehem? It's not exactly in the neighborhood, is it? That's about. Oh, if you look at the scale and you measure it, that's about a hundred miles or more from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But a Roman Caesar, way over in Italy, a thousand miles away, declared that he wanted to collect a tax on everybody that was under his rule, Israelites included. Uh, a guy named uh, uh, his, his tax governor that he left in there, uh, Cyrenius, I believe was his name. We'll look that up here in a little bit. Uh, was, in, was charged with enforcing the taxation. They said that every head of household had to go back to the city of their fathers to register for the tax. Joseph lives in Galilee. And another prophecy says that the Savior has to come from the family lineage of King David. Well, both Joseph and Mary were of the family lineage of King David. Mary and Joseph were actually cousins. I know that may sound weird to you, but it was different in those days, okay? Uh, Matter of fact, some of you are old enough to know people who married their cousins anyway. Yeah, it's not that unusual. Uh, They had to go back to where? What's the city of David? It's Bethlehem. Go to 1 Samuel 17. Look it up. The city of David. David's father, Jesse, is called the Bethlehemite. 
So they had to go at Roman orders. I mean, they hung you up to dry. If you didn't, you would get the, the Roman spear in your back. Uh, they had to go to, and he couldn't leave her behind for obvious reasons. They had to travel to Bethlehem. Just so happens coincidentally to be where the prophet said that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be born. So they get to Bethlehem. And that's like, I don't know, that's like a three-week journey for strong men and good animals. And it's a long, that's an arduous journey. You've had children. So you know what it's like to be nine months pregnant, don't you? What's the last thing you would up and do if on just on a whim. No, you wouldn't go by donkey or, or walking across some of the roughest terrain on the planet. Nobody would do that on purpose. But they had to do it. And the very fact that she made the trip alive was testament to God's hand in their life anyway. So when they get there, they can't find a, a motel. No room in the inn. And they found a stable for shelter. And our Savior was born in Bethlehem in a stable, laid in a manger, exactly where the prophet 700 years before said he's going to come from. That's what a Bible prophecy looks like. And when you got about 350 roughly, just about Jesus, just the ones just about him, and all of them come to pass exactly as they were foretold. Uh, that starts to echo proof, doesn't it? Micah 5 2. Let me, just for honesty's sake, tell you that Bible prophecies aren't really just a prediction. I mean, yeah, God knows everything and He knows the future and the past. But with God, he doesn't just know the future and the past. He's in the future and the past. God's not limited to time. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Literally. He took John, the apostle, ahead in time and showed him what was going to happen and told him to write it down. And then all the paragraphs in the book of Revelation now start with, and I saw. This is the four and twenty elders, a great white throne, the heaven come down. It's, it's a first-hand account. It's not a prediction because it's from God. We're going to skip ahead. There are, people, there, there are people who got stoned in the Bible for preaching too long. At least that's what it might have been. I'm not sure what the reason was, but... It might have been the content of the sermon, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping not to take it any longer than I have to. But I'll skip on to the last part, and that is the claims of the Bible. And I'll ask you while I'm turning over here to Second uh, uh, Peter, I'll ask you, have you ever, you ever been through some really rough times in your life that that you would have just given anything for God to give you some clear guidance? You ever wish you could just go outside and ask God what you needed to know and he'd just speak from the sky and tell you? You've probably tried it. I don't know if that's true or not, but 
I think we've all wished that at one time or another. There's a man here in Second Peter. His name's Peter. Who actually got to experience what I'm talking about. In Second Peter chapter number 1. And uh, we'll start here in about verse, let's see, about verse number uh, 16. Here's what Peter writes. He says, When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. And here's what the voice said. said this voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard uh, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Wow. What an experience to hear God speak from heaven. It happened on more than one occasion and on one occasion they, some thought it was thunder. Uh, I, I guess that means God's got a deep voice. I don't know what else to think about that. But Peter heard God speak. And the next thing he tells you in the Bible is going to mess with your head, I promise. He said, we heard God's voice from heaven. And then look at what he says. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Peter said, we heard God speak for heaven, but we got something better than that. What could possibly be better than that? Watch this. This is, if I give you something better than that, you'd, be, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Sure. All right, watch this, watch this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private or of any one man or one person's interpretation. What's scripture? The scriptures in the Bible. Well, okay, it's God's word, right? God's word, yeah. All right, what's script? Something that's written down. Written. So scripture isn't just God's word, it's the God's word written God's word. Yeah. Okay. Starting to make sense now, right? Mm-hmm. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, these scriptures that God has given us and preserved for us, and there's a whole a whole new series of lessons that can be taught on how that happened. But here it is. However it happened, it did, because here we have it. But one thing we see, we don't really have 40 authors, do we? We've got one author and something similar to 40 secretaries writing his words down so that they could be preserved for us and we have them. But what's Peter say? This is the inspired word of God. Peter says, we have something more sure than God's voice from heaven. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Scriptures, the written Word of God. Uh, there's some other scriptures. I'm going to skip to the last one because 
I don't want to get stoned and it's, we're out of time. Check, Trish, check John's pockets. Make sure he doesn't have any rocks in his pockets. I want to turn over here to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a young church in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is in a city in modern, what's modern day Turkey now, back then. And it's written to a, an incredible church. This is a young church. Based on when these letters were written and when the, when the journey went through there from Paul, this church couldn't likely be more than four or five years old. I mean, that's a brand new baby church by any standard. Yet, what they did, by the way, we want our church to be like this church was. What they did, look what Paul said to them. He said, he, that, he said, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe or Acacia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, which is like the size of East Texas, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. They didn't have cell phones and they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have any of the things that we have to work with, the tools that we have today. But they spread the word of God. region knew about Jesus and what he'd done for them. That's impressive. What's even more impressive is what was it that made them this kind of incredible Christians? I think they, I think they fully qualified to, to be known as an incredible church full of incredible people. But what made the difference? This is the last verse right here. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us. Now that's the word of God being delivered by the apostles. We're talking about men with miraculous gifts, men who could prove that they were sent from God, just like we can prove that this Bible is the word of God. He says, when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually or effectively works also in you that believe. They, they could have said, oh, that's just Paul, that's just your opinion. Oh, that's just what Timothy says. We, you know, he's just like the rest of us. He doesn't really know. Well, I'm Pastor, that's your opinion, and this was Paul's opinion, and you could do that. There are people all over the world doing that right now. Or you could receive it the way they did, as it is in truth, the Word of God. So my question is this. Now, we've presented some evidence, good evidence. It's not nearly all of it. But based on what you've seen and the facts that you've received, 
Will you be able, because we're going to go through a lot of scripture now, we're going to be, will you be able to receive it as it is in truth, the very word of God? Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Well, we've done our job in lesson one. Thank you. You can go have a seat with the rest of everybody now. I know that a standard invitation in a Baptist church is come down front and pray at the altar and get right with God or get saved or whatever, whatever you need. Our invitation is usually a little different. If you have not taken these classes, my invitation to you is that you would consider taking these classes. There's not going to be any charge for it. Uh, it's one-on-one. You can ask any question you want, and there are no dumb questions. But I will promise you that God's Word has the answer. Uh, if you've been paying attention, you're probably pretty certain right now that you can trust your Bible. Amen? And the promise that was given to these Thessalonican church members was that, that God's Word would work effectively in their life. In other words, it's going to change your life. And it has done so in every life that it's been applied to and exposed to since it was written. You, you don't need to do it now. You can see me on the way out and say, you know, I'd like to take those classes and we'll set you up and we'll figure out a time that works for you. And either myself or one of our other qualified teachers will be thrilled to the opportunity to get to share these truths with you. We've been doing this a long time. A lot of people get saved in these classes. Everybody that takes these classes leaves knowing that they are saved and being certain of it. Is that true? I've got a lot of people sitting in front of me that's taking these classes. Am I telling you the truth? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to have a, a stanza of invitation. And the, the invitation is that give yourself, give yourself the opportunity to take the classes. You know, that's what God commanded us to do as a church. Go ye therefore, and what's the next word? Teach. Make disciples. Teach them. And I will promise you, you're going to learn some things in these classes you did not know before. You're going to learn about the Word of God. And by the way, this was a very shortened version today. <laughs> There's more. You're going to learn about the righteousness of God. You're going to learn how people get saved and what salvation really means and how it works. When I put my trust in Jesus' blood that he shed for me as a payment for my sin, God gave me, as a free gift, he gave me his own perfect righteousness. What kind of righteousness do you need to get to heaven? 
You need perfect righteousness. And the only way that you can get perfect righteousness is as a free gift from God. His righteousness is the only righteousness that will qualify you to get into heaven. But it's available. And you can understand how it works. And you will understand how it works. And you're going to get to see God do that for you. You really can't learn what you need to know in five or ten minutes at the front of a church with all kinds of pressure things going on around you. This doesn't work very well. But doing what God told us to do, and that is to teach you. Most of the people that Jesus dealt with, he dealt with face-to-face, one-on-one. And he taught them. And they responded. And he changed their life. And he's still at it. He will do that for you. This was the commercial. So... Get online and order the book. No just, no, just let us know that you'd like to take the classes and we'll set it up for you. And we will meet your schedule, whatever it takes. That's how important it is. So let's stand together. You're getting out a lot earlier than last week.